0: Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton.
1: And we're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 158. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, friend and co-host Ryan Ray. Ryan... It looks like uh, Stephanie, the intern, has failed to deliver the articles. I have my name uh, back in the spotlight. Uh, the, the, the arbiter of good news uh, in the industry is what I'll be today. Since I'm pulling the articles, I, I get to bring uh, news, good news to the industry. So,
2: See Ryan, uh, this proves one thing. Uh, Josh had family in town over the weekend and suddenly Stephanie just conveniently disappears to uh, deliver articles over the weekend. So I think that the uh, alter ego theory is gaining credence now.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a a very astute observation. Uh, Yeah, I like that, that um, Josh has company, all of a sudden Stephanie doesn't show up for work. Hmm. I I think you're onto something there, Nate. And let me just say this, let me just put this out there. Um, Of all the weekends not to pick articles, like this was a bad one not to show up because this was the easy one, right? It was OPEC, OPEC, OPEC. You have a hundred OPEC articles to choose from. And so, um, I mean, we, we will dock Stephanie's pay. Don't, you know She will begin to have to, she's you know, working for free as the intern. She will have to pay us moving forward. And so we apologize to all of our listeners for her um, terrible, terrible mistake. And so, um, with that being said though, she didn't make it to her, her, her review, Josh. We have um, 274 Five-star reviews, and so we're getting close to the magical 300. Let's just say we might retire, though. We might retire after this five-star review. Joining Greenpeace now. When I started listening to these guys several months back, I knew absolutely nothing about oil and gas. Now, several months later, I know even less. In fact, I'm considering canceling my membership to AAPL and thinking of joining
2: Greenpeace. My job here is... (laughs) What's that name? <laughs> My job here is done. I have successfully ruined the Texas Oil and Gas podcast. <laughs> we have been outed as the Greenpeace lovers that we
0: are. Um, we thought we could get another a couple of years out of this, but um, we cannot confirm or deny that the show is backed by Greenpeace anymore. Um, uh, legal counsel has told us not to talk about that. So, um, Maddie five seven eight two, um, you blew our cover, and we do not. We do not appreciate that. So uh but that was a that was a pretty good roast. We we got a chuckle out of that. And then we got one from Big Tech San 72. Some good news, five star. Uh in the days since the crash of oil, this team, including their intern, Stephanie. I mean, it's kind of kind of odd that anybody's bring up Stephanie when she's uh, mm-hmm. post. anyways. <clears throat> bring the good news to the oil patch, even if it isn't good news. They have a great time bringing the spirits up of all the oil field workers who are struggling to understand the oil world and its, old world and its bigger implications. So thank you for that five-star review. Unless it's satire. This is roast month. So this, this is where it's, it's really hard. Like this could be an epic troll or a real serious one. I'm not sure. So thank you either way. And uh, Josh, we need we will continue with our this day in history because we have not reached 300. Um, 1746, what happened that year? There was nothing I could find for... Uh, June 8th of 1746, but, but 18,000 people in Peru died of an earthquake on October 28th in 1746, 18,000 over an earthquake. Mm. That's bad. Like that's gotta Mm. be a bad earthquake.
1: Yeah. much of that pre oil and gas type
0: type tragedy there. I mean, I got to thinking about it, you know, 1746, you didn't have high rises and big buildings and stuff like that. So I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Nate knows anything about this or not, but I was, um, I was kind of caught off guard. 18,000 from an earthquake in 1746. I wonder
2: what happened to... Steel reinforced buildings, so a whole bunch of houses collapsed and killed people. Mm. Because mass-produced cheap steel was not available until the oil and gas industry came along.
0: So there's, there's your history nugget from Nate. Um, so anyways, if you want us to, to stop that segment, it's simple. Five-star reviews until we get to 300. Otherwise, we will continue to torture you people. Not really, but okay, really. But anyways, so um, Josh, you pulled some articles. Let's see if you can actually accomplish that test or not. This can be interesting to see. Um, you've been kind of slacking for a little while now, so.
1: Well, Wall Street Journal uh, covered the OPEC meeting that took place Saturday. The expectations for that meeting was that the cuts were going to be extended for another month. Uh, so on news of that, oil began to, to rise, I believe, Thursday, Friday, uh, it started to tick up. Uh, I checked it earlier today, Run, and I think we were at 38 and a quarter. Uh, we're down to 38 even basically right now. Um, but it got, it was up to almost 40. And, uh, and so they, they met and they did agree to do those cuts. I think Mexico was reluctant to continue their cuts. So they were wanting to stop in June. I think it was like a hundred thousand barrels a day. And, uh, but the, the rest of the, the Saudis uh, and OPEC members did agree to extend those cuts. Now it's just going to be a matter of seeing what the U S is going to do and, Mexico, how they're going to play out. I think there's a couple of details there. I was I was curious, have you, uh, have you spoke with Ellen at all about what she took from the meeting?
0: Uh, no, I have not actually. We'll record later today. So I'm not sure what her thoughts are. Um, you know, one of the things I thought about this morning was if we remember back to when the Saudis and the Russians started the, the price war or whatever you want to call it, you know, at that time, it was pretty concerning because you're like, okay, there's really nothing to stop them from just dragging this thing out for a while. Anyway, David Bachman on, and he said, you know, it's possible they could stop in a couple of weeks, but, you know, they were going to need some outside motivation, it felt like. Um, of course, within, you know, a week or two, basically the whole world starts to shut down, and the price really tanks, um, you know, and so they're, they're beginning to come outside pressure. Um, you know, Trump had the call with them, so you kind of had some outside forces that, that kind of came in and helped get them off that position. But I was wondering this morning, Josh, if the if we didn't have the COVID nineteen outbreak, what would have happened? Would would we be sitting here with the the Saudis and the Russians basically playing nice in June, or would they have continued on that price battle? Well, is, is it? I'm not real quick. I'm not saying that we're out of the woods or we're 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 going to see sixty dollar oil in a week or two. I'm not. I don't. I don't we'll talk about that in a minute, but just I just wondered, I was like, Hmm, is it possible for all the damage that, uh, the COVID did to our industry as far as, you know, killing demand, is it possible that if we do have a quick rebound where we get back to 50, 60 dollar oil this year, rather than you know next year or not, is it possible that actually the COVID helped get us back there because it got the Saudis and the Russians to get off of their, their, their price for sooner than, I mean, we'll, and we'll never know, obviously, but I just, it's an interesting thought process.
1: Yeah. Well, there's one one little flaw in the logic is that the meeting that caused the price war to start was a meeting regarding the coronavirus impact on from the Chinese shutting down their economy. If I recall correctly. Now, don't get me wrong. So I I, I think and then not necessarily a flaw because the probability was that, that little a kerfuffle between the Saudis and the Russians was probably going to happen one way or the other. Um, But the meeting itself took place because the drop in prices from like 55 to 42 at the time um, is what caused the meeting to happen in the first place. And they were talking about what they wanted to do. The Russians wanted to compensate for that drop in price by producing more so they could get their income up. And the Saudis were like, no, that's, that's, that's not a good idea. Um, but I think overall, you're right. I don't think they would have stopped fighting. Um, I, I think, I think they would still be in the midst of that price war if it weren't for the coronavirus. I and mean, it, it kind of came in and put the thump on both of them. And,
0: uh, right. Yeah. So let me, let me, yes. So you are right. They were meeting because of the, the impact on the market from the coronavirus. I would say this, if we went back and if we could go back into a time machine and show them the economic, um, carnage that would lay ahead, Um, for older men and, and, you know, around the world. I don't think that meeting plays out the same way. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree. Yeah. Um, And so they didn't, and and, and you can't blame anyone for on that day, not expecting the world to shut down because we have just never seen that. So it's, it's impossible to, you can predict it and you were right. Good for you. But it's, it's a reasonable thing to say, um, wow, I didn't, I never thought that was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen personally. I know I didn't. Um, because I've never seen that before. So, um, so yeah, so that, that would be a point is that, um, I do agree that, yeah, they were talking about the, cr- the coronavirus stuff, but I don't think they, you, cause if you look at their sovereign wealth funds and what's happened to them, they've been decimated by, uh, what, what happened over this, um, you know, was it, you know, 14 week period or whatever it was. So with that being said, though, if the, if the world did not react the way they did, we would have seen, you know, we had the prices in the forties and we would have seen the prices not you know, the prices would have suffered regardless because even if we kept everything open, it doesn't mean that prices would have rebounded to 60. The prices would have suffered on some level because there would have been some loss of demand. People would have wanted, you know, been scared of getting the coronavirus. They want to work from home. You would have seen, you know, some businesses voluntarily shut down. You would have seen some loss of demand. It just wasn't on the scale of what we thought. And so, uh, well, you know, on that daily, what we thought we were seeing. And so, you know, you just have to wonder, okay, the Saudis and the Russians, my thought was they were dug in to to battle this out for quite some time because I thought that's kind of what they're thinking. Okay, we're going to see, you know, um, some loss in demand, uh, and then we're going to play this thing out, and then, you know, we're going to pull out the squeeze on each other and whoever else, you know, shell producers and wherever else. uh, And ultimately, you know, one of us kind of come up with the top dog. Um, But because of what happened with the the impact uh, from the coronavirus, the demand dropped so much that they couldn't really hold that course. So I don't know. I'll talk to Ellen about this. I'm just curious what what your thoughts were, because if they, if they stayed the course for a year or two, it could have really bled the industry out, you know, over a long period of time. Whereas this, it it was a big swift kick and a knockout punch for, for a lot of us, but uh, it might actually rather would yet we might actually allow us to um, rebound sooner than we thought, you know, six to eight weeks ago. So, I don't know. I, 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 was, I was thinking about that this weekend because it's, uh, you know, I think JP Morgan Chase, Ellen said last week, is predicting $60 WTI by July. $60. This year. July this year. Three weeks. Less than 30 days. Yes. Well, okay. I don't know what port, part part of July, but yeah, in July.
1: So I saw a, I saw a hard energy saying that it was going to stay in the thirties. Uh, I saw that it might be in the articles. I may not have pulled it. Um, so, here, here's another article from the uh, Wall Street Journal. Oil falters as Libyan and U.S. production threatens to mute OPEC cuts. So, this article actually came out at nine o'clock this morning. Um, the other one I pulled was from Saturday. So, this is saying that oil prices wobbled after a deal by OPEC and its allies to extend production cuts was offset by the prospect of increased output from Libya and U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think they, they mentioned two companies here, uh, Parsley and WPX. Let me find them. Uh, yeah, Parsley WPX said they are going to turn their spigots back on after oil prices rallied in recent weeks. Now, they're not really sure what that actually means, like how much production are they actually mm-hmm. going to turn on. So, mm-hmm. lots of unknowns here. But we, we do see as oil prices go up, these people are going to, these companies are eager to start producing again. And the question is going to be, how long will that last before the prices dip back down? Um, right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, yeah, I think you're on a couple of things here. One, um, um, generally
0: speaking, everyone wants the economy to rebound, you know, like anyone wants the economy just to suffer. Uh, so you're kind of getting this sense of optimism and you've seen that reflected in the stock market. Um, and, you know, there's another some debate about the recent jobs report, but maybe the jobs are coming back uh, quicker than, than, than we thought, but uh, we'll, Talk about that another day um, so you you but you've seen apart from that stock market has really been up and to the right it's like hmm, I don't know how it's rebounding so fast when all the numbers are bad um, we've talked about the the numbers from China and how the numbers from China are indicating that their old demand might become back quicker than we thought um, and so there's there's a lot of optimism out there about how quickly we can recover um, but those are separate issues. How quickly the economy can recover and how quickly the oil price can stay, stay, you know, sustained at a good price. are not necessarily the same. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of the deal right now because with the OPEC stuff, one thing you have to remember is if OPEC says they're going to do something, it does not mean they actually do it. So the OPEC compliance is not in, is not the same as what the OPEC says it's going to do. Um, whereas um, you know, if, if a publicly traded company in the U.S. says it's going to shut down um, six wells or whatever, it, you know, if they got caught lying about that, that would be, um, I'm sure, some kind of SEC violation. But you know, their shareholders would get mad. So it's it's not exactly the same. And so measuring OPEC compliance versus what OPEC says it's going to do is always kind of the kind of the um, the. Um, the difficulty. And the other thing I'll say is that, you know, we talked about this, the storage a few weeks ago or a month ago, like I said, is now it looked like the storage was going to be full. And we were like, oh my gracious, this storage issue is going to be uh, a problem. And now that's kind of gone away. And uh, credit to Jim Teague at uh, uh, Enterprise. He was kind of the first one I really heard kind of get in there and kind of say why he didn't think that was the case. And then uh, on his quarterly call uh, and then after that, you start to see the the, the information seemed to back up what Teague was saying. So if you kind of go back and say, well, it, it felt like we had we're going to hit too much storage. We're going to have way too much. Well, we didn't actually hit that mark. Um, the China numbers are coming back quickly. So there's a lot of indicators that make you go, okay, well maybe the price is going to you know, rebound pretty good. Um, but to your point, if shell producers look at the number above 40 and say, yeah, we can survive here. It could, it could send the price back down because, um, you start adding barrels to the market and you know, will the market, is the market ready for those? And, um, uh, so that's why I keep saying we're not we're not out of the woods yet because we're just not. There's too many there's too many unknowns as it stands right now from my perspective to say that we're going to be out of the woods or not out of the woods. Um, and um, but the, but there's a lot of good signs there. And yeah. listen listen, uh, two months ago there was no good signs, and that's what we were. And, and just to kind of just kind of balance this, you know, one things we don't want to do is be overly negative or overly false on our show. We want to try to tell you how we see it. Um, and, and that's kind of the, you know, back then it was like, Oh my gracious. And we talked to a lot of analysts and they were, Hey, this is, you know, this is bad. <laughs> this is, this is bad. Um, and as, as a sense today it's like, okay, well we are starting to see the glimmers of hope, right? We are the, the, the path to 50 is back in front of us. And that's kind of the magical number, at least for, for us, the U S we're going to get above 50. Um, the path for 50 is back in front of us now where it wasn't a few weeks ago. And It's gotten there by a weird way, Josh. Let's just stop and think about that real quick. Okay. So we shut down the U.S. economy. Killed demand. Worldwide shutdown. Okay. Um, There was debates over how quick the U.S. would open. And without getting into the political aspects of the riots over the past few weeks, the riots might actually spur the economy to reopen more fully than if they hadn't happened. True. Whether you agree with the protests or not, that's not the point of the, the point. That's not the point I'm getting at. Is that just simply stated that it's hard to it's hard for the government to now argue that the average citizen cannot stay, has to stay at home and cannot work and cannot freely move around when we've had riots across the U.S. where people did whatever they wanted to do, literally speaking. um And so, whereas you know, we're going, okay, well, Hey, you know, well, you know, is California going to wait till the end of July to open back up or Los Angeles, you know, what's going to happen with this and that it's, it's now it seems that it's going to be a hard argument for the government, generally speaking to keep the people um, at home. And I think New York city actually opens up, I don't know if it's fully or more regularly this week. So um, it's just kind of a weird, it's just kind of weird how it's played out. When you look at it, it's like there's some weird things that have kind of pushed the, us, us in, a, in a multitude of directions and, and for us at least for the Textile Gas Guys podcast you know 50 seems to be the magical number and it doesn't mean 50 cures all our problems or 50 is the you know where everyone makes money just that fifty's kind of historically been uh, the number we, we want to be above when you get below 50 you start to kind of go okay we're we're concerned here so um, and I'm not sure I don't know you think we'll get to 50 before the end of the year?
1: Uh. Yeah, I think, I think 50, I don't know about 60, uh, JP's talking up 60 by July. That's, uh, that's, that's pushing it. I, I was thinking, I was thinking 45, 50 by December is what I was, is what I was anticipating. Uh, and that is with some, you know, it could go higher. It could, it could not get that high. I mean, I, I see, it, I see it going both ways. I do. I will say that this pulling the articles this week has been the most optimistic that I've been since all of this stuff started. This news is coming out right now, looking at what uh, other countries are doing, OPEC meeting. uh, um, Yeah, so I I think there's a lot of good news. I think some of the stuff that uh, the next article we have about China is going to be, is bringing some promise and things for the industry. So it says they're beginning consolidation of a $100 billion oil and gas pipeline industry. Um, They have several, uh, they have the CNPC and the CNOOC, which um, are both, um, China Nash, uh, national companies owned by China. Uh, they are planning uh, to consolidate some infrastructure. I think it's it's some several uh, several huge um, um, projects that they that they have. Two terminals um, managed by CNPC and one by Cinepec are, are planning to be consolidated, and, and they're going to begin to be run by a single entity. So, um, I and mean, that's good news. I think with China uh, looking at the liquid nat- natural gas and saying, "Look, we need to we need to do some things over in the U.S. to make sure that we can supply ourselves with this energy." So,
0: yeah, and let me just say real quick, I'll go on the record here. Um, I am more confident than most who follow the U.S. China relationship that we will actually get something positive done there. You can quote me in six months when. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about nuclear war with them, but but I actually am far more optimistic about the U.S. China relationships than maybe um, some that follow. And I could be completely wrong on that, obviously, but I, I do have um, uh, reasons to be hopeful on that. Um, Let me just say a couple things here. So back before the coronavirus hit, I was in discussions with some midstream companies in the U.S. about taking them to China to work on help build out Chinese infrastructure. Um, you know, for their kind of gathering midstream um, sector, and you know there is a lot of there is a lot of um, interest in China about bringing over kind of our expertise in in the midstream space to um, help them you know just do do gathering stuff like that. That's not really uh, you know where they're at, and they probably probably a lot more in depth than I'm making it to be. But, but generally speaking, so I, I think as we go back to uh, normal there are things that the U S and the Chinese can work together. But as you point out, Josh, them buying our energy is a big deal. It's a, mm-hmm. big deal. um, they, you know, a few weeks ago people were upset that China was buying our oil. It's like, well, someone's got to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, someone's got to buy it. I mean, you want the fed to print fake money to buy it. Okay. Let's, someone's got to buy it, stuff. And so, um, you know, I, and so China continuing to buy the U S um, oil and LNG is is, a, is an important thing that um, we in the oil and gas industry don't need to lose sight of that um, you know China does have other options we prefer them to buy our product I mean Heck yeah. I mean you know um, now we can get into all the geopolitical stuff on the topic so I think that's kind of getting kind of getting lost um, but those LNG terminal terminals you know, there are a lot of projects for the Chinese side that they were looking at, um, you know, whether it was, you know, um, to build some receiving terminals and some of their ports, or to build some um, LNG plants uh, stateside uh, in Mexico. So I'm not sure when those will come back or if they'll come back anytime soon, but the LNG and it was a big, big, big thing for them um, historically speaking. So um, it, you know, I think stuff like that, Josh, as long as we don't go to, uh, you know, kind of code red nuclear war type level, I think stuff like that will start to be talked about again, because those are, those are deals that, that you want to get done because they have long-term impacts, long-term ramifications. They're going to outlive the Trump administration and and everything else. So if you can work it out now, um, then it, it makes sense to do so.
1: Well, two things. Um, I, I didn't mention that, um, that the companies are going to be, uh, they're going to be, let's see how, the transfer of management of half of their LNG terminals are going to be going to the newly created state controlled midstream firm, Kayxin Global, um, a C-A-I-X-I-N, Kayxin, i probably butchering the name. Uh, that, I, I didn't mention that earlier. So that, that's the name of the company. It's a midstream company that they're, that they're uh, forming. And then number two, I saw uh, a Wall Street Journal article, I think it was, I think it was this morning, where the journalist that wrote the article said that we were in a Cold War with China. So obviously, that sort of report and that sort of uh, take on the news isn't helpful for this. Uh, So there, um, I think you may be a little more optimistic about the deal with China than I am. I, I I don't know. I, I'm just wondering. There's so much blame going on China for the Wuhan deal, uh, coronavirus and the Wuhan lab. And um, obviously, I want there to be a deal with China. I think I think that's good for the, the, the globe, really, uh, is, has global impacts that are positive. I don't blame China for the coronavirus. I think that there's uh, I, I don't think they're honest with the data, um, but I, I wouldn't necessarily blame them for the spread of the coronavirus either. Um, yeah, so I I don't necessarily think we're in a cold war with China right now either, but I do think there's definitely some tensions that depending on how the politics is played could result in some, uh, some negative optics for, uh, befriending China or trying to even pursue a trade deal or, a. uh, a, Right. agreement. Let me, let me just ask you this,
0: uh, name China's allies
1: russia
0: okay who
1: else uh they're allies with north korea right okay yeah 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 who else you
2: got um ooh ooh pick me pick me Ryan. yeah ahead, ahead, mate, I got a who else you got iran venezuela and bangladesh there we go <laughs> yeah all right, so
0: let's just so let's go through the list again. <laughs> Start from the top, and let's just run that list one more time for our listeners'
2: sake. Russia, mm-hmm. Iran, North Korea, mm-hmm. North Korea Venezuela, mm-hmm. and a smattering of other small nations. Okay.
0: Now, I'm going to read this news headline to you. This came out yesterday, uh, the 7th on Bloomberg. China says debt, payment pa- debt payments paused for 77 nations after G20 deal. The Chinese government said it has agreed to debt de- uh, to delay debt repayments for low-income countries as part of a G20 nations debt relief program. The country has suspended debt repayments for 77 developing nations. Um, and it goes on. I don't know. I can't find the list in this article, but I'm sure it's somewhere. Now why on earth is China suspending debt repayment right now? Name those allies again. I'll tell you. (laughs) I mean, right. So, so China doesn't have the strategic allies that we have. China, China has a lot of things in its favor, um, but the strategic allies it doesn't have. And I'll just say one more point on this and we'll talk about more and move on. But, you know, when Trump threatened or did pull out, I guess, depends on how you take Trump, but the, the, the World Health Organization a couple of weeks ago now, within three days, the World Health Organization came out and said, well, China has been lying. Sorry about that. You know, they weren't, they weren't as forthcoming as we said they were. Okay, so if you are of the belief that Trump pulling out of these big uh, multinational institutions is going to be the end of America's place as the global powerhouse, you might be right. But just take note that when we say we're pulling out of the World Health Organization, within days, they come out and start saying, well, yeah, China wasn't as forthcoming as we said they were. That's not coincidental. Now, I'm not saying they're telling the truth now or then or ever. I'm just saying they just changed their story. Um, And so if we list the China allies again, I think you'll see that, geopolitically speaking, the allies that China has are not the allies you can have to win the Cold War in 2020. If you threw in all of those nations and you said the EU, China would have a, a stronghold. They don't. They don't have that. It could change. It could change tomorrow. It could change next week. It could change next month, obviously. But that's the sense today. The fact that the World Health Organization changed their tune after Trump said we pulling out shows you that the rest of the world does not want China to replace the US. Um, so there's a ton of pressure on China right now, a ton of pressure on China right now, which leads me to believe that they will ultimately figure out a way to work through the, the virus stuff and those investigations and eventually figure out what to play nice. Now, it doesn't mean they gonna are be kicking and screaming along the way, but, and again, I would just simply say that they're pausing debt repayments for 77 nations. They pausing it because they ain't got a choice. This yeah. is called Spade the Spade. They ain't got a choice. There were some nations saying, we ain't going to pay you back. And they're like, oh, well, yeah, let's let's pump the brakes. We'll pump the brakes right now. So China China needs allies, and it doesn't have allies. And so allies that actually matter. Um, And so um, no offense to our listeners in Russia, but they don't have allies that actually matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, And so they need them, and they don't have them. And so I, I don't think they have as much leverage as they want. So really it comes down to can the Chinese government keep its 400 million middle-class going and that's really the question and i'm i think they need more outside support to do that than some so anyways that's my china spill for the day
1: well uh last article before we do the roundup uh this one was just kind of for fun will canada send oil and gas packing so uh with coronavirus we've talked about how the amount of um you know the pollution air pollution has been um the decrease has been tremendous like california the smog china the smog has just it is uh it is almost like a different continent or a different uh different place altogether as as uh, old demand's been so low old consumption has been so low that it has made the air cleaner and that's been one of the things that the green uh the green crowd has been calling for 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 a while so they're looking at this as an opportunity to may, maybe go ahead and put a stake through the heart of the oil and gas industry in Canada. Some of the left are arguing that they should, and um, you know, Ryan, I think if if they want to do it, um, Amish life, baby. hashtag Amish life. Go Amish, y'all shut it down. Let let us let us produce the oil. I'll I'll take it. We'll,
0: yeah, we'll, we'll take it. We'll, I mean, we I mean, we have called this. For years now, that if you want to live this way, you want to reduce the emissions, then yeah, go Amish. So we we were kind of like the trendsetters on this, and so um, it's good to see that the Greenies are finally catching up. And uh, we wish them well in their
1: Amish adventures. And uh, the beans yeah. that they're not going to be using the internet anymore. Uh, it's going to be hard to they hear will. what they think about things, and that that would just be a uh, god that's a terrible oh thing. how would we know what's going on in the world without their input?
0: Whew. I don't know if we'll
1: continue without their models. I mean, we wouldn't know what's going to happen in ten years. Yeah, it's. <laughs> we we won't know what won't happen for sure either.
0: <laughs> but hold on, before we go to the roundup, I gotta I gotta say something here. Um, in this age, it's important to follow trusted reporters and people that you think that are actually accurately reporting the news. And we have multiple times on this podcast given Sergio Chapa that that designation. But Josh, at this point, I've I've got to start questioning his bias. Um, Headline, drilling down, Eagleford Shale on verge of drilling permit drought. Okay, sure, terrible for the Eagleford. We feel sorry for you guys. Um, But it's funny. The Barnett's been running two rigs strong for a while now. We had no rigs. We're two rigs strong, and it gets no coverage from Surveill. None. What does it take for the Barnett to do? Because what happened, Josh, when we didn't have any rigs? What did he say? Drilling uh, drought. Drilling the Barnett's dead. Mm-hmm. The Barnett will never live again. You know, I hate the Barnett. You know, it was a terrible. It was terrible, terrible stuff. And so um, now that the Barnett has two rigs, we are basically holding the country on our back here. Um, it's funny how the narrative shifts just like that. Now we're talking about the Eagle for drought. But, hmm, hmm. So anyways, I just want to point that to listeners. We still have two rigs in the Barnett. We are holding the economy up on our back literally. And, um, you know, if some of the mainstream media like Sergio Chapa could report on such things, it would be, it'd be appreciated by those of us who uh, feel like we're neglected up here in the Barnett. So, um, you know, just, just thought that would be of relevance. Um, so Sergio, the the ball's in your court. In fact, if I'm looking at this drilling down report, Oh, let's see here. Barnett, we're at the, we're at the bottom. The Barnett shell of North Texas has now gone three weeks without a new horizontal drilling permit. But loving oil company, Don Peterson, uh, Don Peterson Company plans to drill a pair of vertical wells in Young County. The two wells product, uh, producing both oil and natural gas, yet target Young County regular uh, regular field down to a vertical depth of nine hundred and ninety nine feet. You know he neglected the fact that the rigs are still running. Like we we we're not laying rigs down in the Barnett. See, it's, it's, it's that kind of spin. It's like Sergio, come on, man, you're killing us. The Barnett, we are. We have two rigs. And we're about to add some more. It's like the hotels better get ready the Barnett all I'm saying the hotels yeah. better get ready. They're going to be Price filled is up.
1: Prices about to some skyrocket.
0: Restaurant owners get get prepared. It's going to be um, lunch lines uh, around the corner. So, anyways, I just thought we should just bring that up.
1: One rig boom in 2020 is coming to
0: Barnett. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we've doubled it with the two rig boom. So it's it's um, that might you know that might be why the prices are down. The analysts are actually realizing what's going on in the Barnett. They're afraid that we've over-drilled this thing already.
2: <laughs>
1: All right, for the roundup, uh, Shell suspends operations in Argentina's Vaca Muerta area after hey. seismic activity. So, hey. uh, <laughs> uh, the second one, second article, um, Thai company delays decision on a 5.7 billion dollar Ohio petrochemical plant. So this, this plant was actually supposed to go online uh, in the first half of 2020. Uh, but guess who showed up? Uh, COVID-19 and uh, the Saudi-Russian war. So they have delayed that. And they're supposed to be reconsidering this project at the first half of 2021. They're not going to be building it then. They're going to be deciding if they're going to build it at all. So for those who were hoping for this ethane cracker in Ohio, first half of 2020, $5.7 billion dollar. Uh, investment into the infrastructure there. Um, sorry to say, that is not happening this year, and it may not ever happen. We will find out in the first half of 2020, 2021. Uh, This would probably be. I, I'll save this one for last. Um, I wanted to blame this one on Stephanie, but uh, it, it was in the news, so gotta gotta announce it. BP is cutting ten thousand jobs worldwide as pandemic slams oil and gas industry. Ten thousand jobs worldwide. Uh, there was a percentage somewhere. I don't see it. It was a pretty high percentage of their workforce that they're that they're cutting. So, um, along with all the other job cuts, BP is cutting quite a few there. So Shell, Thai, and BP had some cuts. Uh, you know, and some delays on projects. And I one of the things I'm thinking, Ryan, is is that with some of these delays. People are just unsure of what the governments are going to do on the second wave of the COVID-19 coming later this year. What are they going to do? How long is it going to take for these governments and and countries and cities and states to open back up? Uh, When can they start to have a reasonable expectation that we're going to get back to normal and that the uh, demand for oil is going to start climbing at a regular rate and approaching uh, something close to where we were? So once they have an idea, that there's some regularity to be expected. I think you'll see these investments start to come back, these jobs start to come back. But um, right now I think there's just a lot of uncertainty. Well, a lot of uncertainty in
0: the OPEC deal is only to the end of July, right? Yeah,
1: that's not long so, enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, so we're gonna be reevaluating this, you know, in just a little bit over, you know, two months basically um, going, okay, well, here's where we're at now and what's OPEC gonna do, how they gonna respond. And so, um, when, when I keep saying we're not out of the woods, as you're pointing out, there's just there's like have kind of a lot to go on here, and um, I did to look up when the when the two the the second quarter calls start coming out, but you will start to hear from these publicly publicly traded drillers um, what their plans are for the second half of the year about the time that those OPEC cuts start to expire. If I you know, if I have my timeline right there, and so that'd be interesting to see. You Know July and August will be an interesting time period because you start to see okay, well, this is what um, you know, Pioneer or EOG or you know, whomever starts to think about um, the second half of the year. So it's going to be interesting, and it could be a deal where um, the decline curves are you know, maybe that's gonna finally catch up to us, and the decline curves are such so steep that it doesn't matter, we're going to be behind the eight ball and the price will go up, or it could be that um, you know, OPEC and the various folks around the US will turn on enough to. Uh, to keep the prices down. So I i, I don't know. I, I hope that JP Morgan Chase is right. And that we hit $60 oil. Uh, I think it's JP Morgan Chase, but uh, whoever it is, whoever predicted $60 oil in July, I hope they're right. I hope they are so right that we're sitting here in the high cotton in July going good grief. Wow. That COVID stuff, man, that wasn't really that bad. Um, but I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to just jump on that bandwagon just quite yet. So um we will see.
1: I think that wraps it up for us, man. Is there anything else?
0: You know, I got a note I thought from a listener somewhere while we're talking on the show, and we we're going to go over. Oh, I know what it is, and we can't go over this today. But someone I think sent Nate a note through the website or something, so we need to circle back around to that next show. Um, I just thought about while we record. So, anyways, we'll we'll go back and look that up and. Uh, We'll, we'll hit that next time. But uh, yeah, so 274 roast continues until, what's tax day? Tax day July 15th, right? Tax day 2020. Yeah, uh, July 15th. So that, and then also we might release, you know, we've got this new newsletter, warroommedia.com. Uh, so we might release a one of our interviews we did on this thread later this week. So if you see something that comes up, so War Room, that's um, one of the discussions. It's mainly written newsletter obviously but we do have some some privately held podcast or interviews or whatever so uh, if you see that come up just know that's what it is and until next time keep rhyming